Hey, good morning, church. How we doing? Hey, can we thank our worship team for leading us in worship? My name is Nate. I'm on staff here at the church. I oversee our middle school ministry. I'm one of the soul care counselors here. I love spending time with middle schoolers. I love having fun with them, being weird with them. I just kind of fit in. It's kind of strange. Um, But just having the opportunity to open up God's word, you know, teach them how to have a growing, vibrant relationship with Christ. It's just, it's amazing. You know, my goal in middle school ministry, having been in soul care, is, you know, 10 years from now, we don't have a soul care. But if it goes the other way, I guess it's just job security for me, so that's fine. That was, that was the joke. That was my, maybe I'll scratch that one for the 11 o'clock. But hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke 12. Luke 12, we're going to be starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's going to be people that are making their way forward. Go ahead, raise your hand, get a copy of God's Word. You're not going to want to miss where we are going. We're continuing our study in the parables. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like the people that are in the crowd watching Jesus teach. Maybe you're like the disciples and you're watching him teach. You're watching him perform miracles and he's traveling and the crowds are growing and they're getting bigger. And it gets to a point where Jesus suddenly changes how he's teaching. He starts teaching in these parables. Now, why does he do that? Luke 8 says this. It says, when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Look here, parables, they illustrate and they clarify truth for those with ears to hear while they have the exact opposite effect on those who oppose and reject Christ. And at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, he's performing miracles, he's raising people from the dead, he's healing people, people that couldn't see, he's bringing them sight, people that couldn't walk, he's raising them and having them walk, he's, there's a whole transfiguration thing that's happening. And before we get into this text this morning, um, I just want to give you some context about what he would have been teaching And he's saying things to this group. And what he's saying, he's saying, hey, don't worry about the one that can cause bodily harm to you. Don't worry about the one that can take your body, that can kill your body, because it's going to happen by following me, that people are going to oppose you, they're going to persecute you. He's saying, hey, don't worry about how to even defend yourself or stick up for yourself. He says uh, this, he says, don't be anxious about how you would defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now imagine being there. Imagine being in that crowd and Jesus starts teaching about anxiety. He's like, hey, um, here's what's going to happen. People are going to see you following me and they're going to be like, hey, we we need to go after them. We need to persecute them. We need to harm them. We need to harm their family. And Jesus is like, hey, um, don't worry about it. Uh, Don't be anxious. The Holy Spirit, he's going to teach you what to say. He's going to give you the words in that moment. I can imagine being there, and uh, it probably had the exact opposite effect, that, that my mind would start racing towards, well, how do I need to uh, protect my family? How do I need to protect myself? And as we're hearing Jesus say the very words, don't be anxious, maybe they become filled with anxiety. Maybe we're walking in here on a Sunday morning, and we're gathered together, ready to hear the word of God and sit under this place, but maybe our minds are racing. Maybe there's marital strife that's going on. Maybe there's uh, relational issues with your family. Maybe there's a job situation. Maybe there's a sickness. I don't know. But I know that sometimes we come in here and our minds are racing. 
And what's going to happen in this parable that we're going to study this morning is there's a man sitting there in that crowd, and that's exactly what happens. And his mind goes somewhere else. So go ahead, follow along with me, verse 13, and let's see how this man responds. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So it would be like we're worshiping and, you know, Chris is leading and we're having an awesome time. And then in between songs, somebody in the balcony is like, hey, play Freebird. We would be like, what? Like, are you, do you know what's going on? Like what Jesus is just teaching about, don't be anxious. Like, like look out for the one that can harm your body. And you're like, hey, the, the inheritance, tell my brother to divide it with me. But think about the people that would have been in this crowd. There would have been Jews. There would have been Gentiles. There would have been the sick, like I was talking about. They would have heard about Jesus uh, approaching somebody, touching them, healing them. So they thought by being in his presence, maybe there is a chance that he could heal them. There would have been genuine followers of Jesus. There would have been the disciples and people who wanted to learn more about him and wanted to know about this kingdom of God and how to enter into that family. There would have been unbelievers. And I believe by looking at that first verse that this man that we're dealing with is an unbeliever. Um, Look at how he addresses Jesus. He calls him teacher. It would have been common for a Jew to go to his rabbi or his teacher with disputes like this and ask for help in resolving it. Back in ancient Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 21 would cover the, the inheritance rights for the firstborn child. Uh, the law would say that the firstborn was to obtain a double inheritance. So I'm guessing that maybe uh, dad recently passed away and the inheritance was passed down and that older brother got that double share and the younger one is like, hey, this isn't fair. Uh, I I want more of a share for me Um, because that inheritance probably would have been land, probably would have been used for farming that would have directly affected his income and his status. Um, I, I think about my kids. Anybody here have more than one child? Yeah. So I have two boys, Cameron and Colby. Cameron's eight, Colby's four. I hear a lot of you going, oh. Don't know how my wife was able to pull this picture off. This is, they don't do this. It's strange. (laughs) But I think about this. You know, anytime we bought something for Cameron, got him a toy, my wife is like pouring cereal. Colby is watching and he's like, wait, how do I make this? This isn't fair. Like he got three more chocolate spots than I did in his cereal. He's like, Mom, this isn't right. Or he comes and talks to me, or he'll like talk to Grandma and Grandpa about how we have to make things right and make things fair. So my assumption, by looking at this text and how this man is calling out to Jesus when Jesus is teaching about don't be anxious that we're dealing with a little brother here. And isn't this interesting? Isn't this interesting? That's where this man goes. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the uh, physical harm to your body, but look out for the eternal harm. He's saying, hey, this unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you got to watch out for this. And he's saying, hey, don't be anxious about how to defend yourself. But this guy is completely checked out. He's completely consumed with what he wants. He's completely consumed with his agenda that he's bringing in to hear Jesus talk. Don't we do that? (laughs) Sometimes we'll walk in here on a Sunday, uh, maybe you're single and we're teaching about marriage and you're like, you know what, that's great for them. Um, I'm not there yet. Don't plan on getting married yet. Not my word. I'm going to check out on this one. Maybe we're teaching about 
parenting and you're like, you know what, I don't have kids yet, don't really plan on having them, but this is good for the ones that do have kids because I see their kids running all over the place and across the stage, like they need more parenting stuff, but this one isn't for me. Sometimes we say, you know what, when you're teaching me something that I'm ready to hear, that I want to hear, then I'll listen, but for right now, I'm just going to check out. Let's look at uh, Jesus' response to this man. Go ahead, follow along with me in verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? What he's saying, Jesus is like, hey, I didn't come here to settle these earthly disputes. I didn't come here to settle these family matters. I'm teaching about bigger things to come. He says this, he says, and he said to him, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So what I want to do is I want to look at this passage and I want to dive in and key in on areas where we can be fools. And I want to start with our big idea. Here's our big idea. The big idea is this. My anxiety is increased by my God's failure to deliver. My anxiety is increased by my God's failure to deliver. Now, notice the lowercase g in that big idea because when I was telling my wife about this, her anxiety was multiplied just by this big idea. And she's like, you can't say that. I was like, hold on, we'll, we'll work through it. They'll get it. So look here. We know that money and possessions, they can be used wisely, but they are deceitful. It lies to us. It tells us that we can have all the things of God without God. And in the end, everything without God is empty. The issue is that we become our own gods. Now in this parable, uh, the Lord calls this man a fool. So let's take this as a warning and identify areas in our lives where we can become fools. The first thing I see here is that I am a fool when I mistake myself for God. I'm a fool when I mistake myself for God. So let's look at some instances from Scripture where people have mistaken themselves for God. These passages are going to be up on the screen. Go ahead and follow along with me. The first thing we see is the account of the fall of Satan found in Isaiah 14. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most High. Genesis 11 talks about the Tower of Babel. says this, says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Daniel 4 talks about Nebuchadnezzar. And he's talking about Babylon. He's looking over the kingdom. He's saying, look at how awesome I am. Look at all of my authority. Look at everything that I've built on my own. And I think about the average dad, right, with his nice white New Balances and his uh, jean shorts. And he's got his shirt nicely tucked in, a freshly mowed lawn. And he's just standing there and he's just like, ha, yeah, I am awesome. 
look at me. Look at my job at mowing. You know who you are. While these words were still in Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, and as he's talking about how awesome he was and how he built everything, look at what the Lord says to him. He says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, that was fulfilled. Immediately, he was turned into a beast. And immediately, what the Lord said would happen, happened to Nebuchadnezzar. These are only a few in Scripture. But don't we do this in our own lives? Don't we do this? Ever since the fall, we just have this desire. We just have this thing inside of us that wants us to be God and for everybody to just cater to our needs. For me, it's Saturday morning. I mean, I spend a week, you know, getting up and early going to work. Saturday morning rolls around. And I'm like, all right, this is my time. I get to sleep in. My wife's going to take care of the kids. They're not going to bother me. I'm going to wake up. She's going to be making breakfast for me. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to watch Sports Center for like three hours. Totally doesn't happen. Nope. Because for her, she's like, okay, this is our time to spend time together. This is our time to have our family time, to get up and enjoy each other's company. But what happens is when I place my desires and I place my expectations above everybody else, and then when that isn't catered to, I get mad and I get upset. And it becomes all about me because I want to be God. So let's reread this passage. Let's reread starting from verse 16 and look at how self-centered this is. So he told him a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And everybody from Nunica and Coopersville is like, hey, all right, barns and bigger barns and fields and crops. This is good. All right, keep going. But seriously, look at this. Eleven times over three verses, this man talks about himself and what he has produced and his goods. And everything is for his own glory. This man is completely caved in on himself. But think about the significance. Think about why Jesus is teaching this parable to this man. This man approaches Jesus. And he's like, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to teach you uh, about crops. I'm going to teach you about the goods that are going to be produced. And this man, he had everything that he wanted. And the crops were produced plentifully. And he had a steady source of income. But he still fell flat on his face. What Jesus is doing is he's going after this man's heart. He's going after the source of his anxiety. You know, my wife and I, we watch a lot of subpar TV. Not, not proud of it. We like unhealthily binge watch Stranger Things in like two and a half days. It wasn't great. She's trying to hide right now. That's good. <laughs> Another show we watch is uh, Alone, where they drop people off like in the middle of nowhere, like Vancouver Island. They give them ten items and like, hey, go survive. And it's literally like we've been watching this for two months of people just complaining about being alone and being hungry, and it's just taking too long. And while we're watching this, I'm complaining to my wife, and I'm like, hey, I'm hungry. Can you can you make me some food? This show is awful. It's taking way too long. But another one that we watched, um, I don't know, five years ago or so was Extreme Hoarders. 
Anybody seen Extreme Hoarders? Man, I just feel guilty. I put together a video, and then I was watching it, and I was like, man, I can't show that. You guys already hated my first joke, so I couldn't play the video. But these people, they accumulate all these items, and they get all this stuff, and it starts overtaking their lives. And then it, when it comes time that somebody says, hey, you have a problem. You have to give this stuff up. This is not healthy for you. They just hold on to it with a clenched fist. And they're like, no, I can't let go that my worth and my identity and everything that I have is tied into these things. Second thing I see is I mistake the physical for the spiritual. I mistake the physical for the spiritual. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Look here. Riches, possessions, Land, they can, can, they can secure our bodies to a certain extent, but they can never secure our souls. God does that. Isn't this something that's so engraved into our culture and engraved into our hearts? If I can get that perfect job, if I can get all the benefits, if I can have the perfect health care plan, I'm going to be secure and I'm going to be taken care of. And look, that's wise. That's a wise thing to desire, but it does absolutely nothing for your souls. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out for three hours a day. I'm just going to get super jacked. I'm going to look like Marty. I'm going to bench press 315 like 20 times. <laughs> Marty's not coming, is he? <laughs> it's awesome for your body. That's great for your body. But then when it comes time to go to a small, uh, small group, two hours, once a week, man, I can't make time for that. That's just, I'm just too busy. I, I, don't, I can't take the time to feed into my soul. We're so willing to sacrifice in areas that are not necessary. You know, being a vegan, it's just bad for your souls. <laughs> that was another joke. <laughs> what about wealth? What about possessions? What about our social status? How come some of the most uh, famous, wealthy, well-known people in America were some of the most miserable people to ever live? Marilyn Monroe, for example, the 20th century's probably most famous, iconic uh, American figure. You know, she had everything. She had this net worth, $27 million. Everybody knew who she was, super famous. But in her final years of her life, they were marked with illness, marked with conflict, personal problems, and overall steady decline of her overall reputation. Uh, married three times, divorced three times. The circumstances of her death um, contested, but most would say at 36 it was a probable suicide. Frank Sinatra, everybody knows Frank. I love Frank. I listen to Frank when I'm sermon prepping, hanging out in my office, um, you know, having a meal with my wife, whatever that is. And his son would say uh, his dad often seemed just distant, seemed sad, seemed depressed. It's say that Frank Sinatra suffered from depression and mood swings his entire life, uh, that he attempted suicide twice in 1953. What about Michael Jackson? Is there anybody in the world that does not know who Michael Jackson is? The dude had everything. Net worth of $600 million. Far from a normal life that he so badly desired. His bodyguards wrote a book following his death and they painted this picture of how sad and how lonely and how much conflict that he had towards the end of his life. You know, we see that this is consistent with scripture also. 
Uh, King Solomon, uh, the son of David, is the wisest man in the Bible other than Jesus. He wrote a book called Ecclesiastes where he was talking about his pursuits for authentic joy. And he was pursuing that through money, through his status, through his relationships, through sex, through partying, whatever that may be. And this is what he wrote about money. Ecclesiastes 5, this is going to be up on the screen. Go ahead and follow along with me. Verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, but what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun, riches that are kept from their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Solomon says, I've had all these things. I've pursued all of these things. I thought I could find my hope and my joy and my salvation and my stuff and my wealth and my relationships. And what he says at the end of the day is like, hey, it's all vanity. It's all mist. It's all vapor. It's all running through your hands that you're never going to be able to grasp it. So what we have to do is we have to trust in the one that can hold the vapor because he created the vapor and he can hold it all together. And if you put your hope and your trust and your everything in Jesus Christ, that he will not return void and he will never move. I've seen it in my life. I've lived it in my life. Look at verse 20. It says this. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Third thing I see here is that I'm a fool when I mistake now for eternity. I'm a fool when I mistake now for eternity. Don't miss the urgency here. Don't miss the Lord saying, fool, right now. The time for salvation is now. You hear my voice, respond. James 4 says this, says, come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, do you not know what tomorrow will bring? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Mark 8 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That the day of salvation is today. I heard this story. It's talking about the devil, and he has three demons, and they're coming up with this plan. Like, hey, well, what do we do? How do we get man to turn away from the Lord and convince them that there's no eternity, there's no salvation, there's no heaven to live for? So the first demon comes up and he's like, hey, here's what we'll do. Um, let's just convince them that there's no heaven. Uh, we'll just convince them that there's no heaven and that by that they'll do this whole uh, be merry and eat and drink and do whatever they want. They'll just run wild and it'll be fine. It'll work. The devil is like, well, the problem with that is they have eternity imprinted on their hearts. And they know that there's something missing and that they're longing for something. And that the universe has just been striving for, uh, to be set right since the fall. So the second demon comes up. He's like, okay, here's what we'll do. Um, let's just convince them that there's no hell. Then they'll live by their own righteousness and they'll do all the religious things and they'll try and just earn their way into heaven. The devil is like, well, if there's no um, heaven like they know that there's a heaven so we can't really convince them that there's no hell it doesn't really work like that so the third demon the smartest one comes up he's like hey let's do this let's just convince them that there's no rush that there's no hurry that they can just take their time 
And here's the thing. If the enemy can convince us that there's no rush and that there's no urgency and that we can take our time, he's winning. You know, earlier we discussed people that had everything, that, that had all the money, had all the wealth, had all the social status, everything they could have desired, and they missed it. But I'm more so worried about the people that have everything, just haven't had a rough time in their life yet. It's like, you know what, I haven't come to the point where I need that Savior. Hey, that's good for you. I'm glad that you found that, but I haven't had anything in my life. Life's just kind of uh, comfortable, and it's easygoing, and it's not stressful, so I just don't really need the whole church thing yet. Those are the people that we need to be worried about. Those are the people that we need to be reaching out to. So in verse 20, he continues, says, For this night your soul is required of you, and the things you are prepared, who will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, is not rich towards God. I am a fool when I mistake worldly security for eternal investments. When I mistake worldly security for eternal investments. Right now in the world, there are countries that are issuing a negative interest rates on uh, investments. And countries like Sweden, um, some other places in Europe, Switzerland, uh, Denmark, Japan, um, it would be like if you took $1,000 and you went to a bank, and over 10 years, you're like, hey, I'm going to uh, invest this $1,000, and 10 years, I'll be back and probably make some money. Like, that would make sense. And these countries, what's happening, because they have this negative interest rate, if you were to invest that over 10 years, you would go to withdraw your money. They'd be like, hey, here's your $700. And you'd be like, this isn't right. This isn't how this is supposed to work. Isn't that what happens when we spend all of our time just investing in these worldly things, and we just end up with a negative return? And I'm not out on investing. I think it's wise to have retirement. I think it's wise to invest and do all those things. What we need to do is we need to start with our relationship with the Lord. That if I'm not giving him my first and my best and fully investing in him, how am I supposed to invest in my marriage? How am I supposed to raise up my kids? How am I supposed to meet with my small group and help them with their situation, ask them to pour into me? See, I believe the phrase rich towards God is used there, and it's only used one time in all of Scripture because the Lord is making a point. One time, rich towards God. The Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we're called to be rich towards God. But the reality is, is the only one who was actually rich towards God, that had the ability to be rich towards God, is Jesus Christ. And but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love of which he loves us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, that if we choose him, that if we be rich towards him and accept the fact that it's not anything that I can do, but it's everything that he has done, I'm going to trust in him, knowing that he has paid that debt and he is rich towards God. So I'm just going to bow at his feet and I'm going to give everything to him. See, everybody comes to this passage and they read about the parable of the rich fool and they think it's about money and they think it's about wealth and possessions, but it's not. It's about anxiety. Look at the bookends of this passage. We start off Jesus saying, uh, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself and go ahead, follow along with me in verse 22. And then he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Again, Jesus is going after our hearts. He's going after this man's heart and the issue with anxiety. And here's the thing. Anxiety, it's a sin when we give it permanent residence in our hearts, and we allow it to rule our thoughts. 
But when we refuse to accept anxiety and instead engage in warfare against it, we bring glory to God. You know, I've shared my story um, with you guys about being in the military and being in Afghanistan. And my job when, when I was in the military was I was an infantry squad leader and I was a martial arts instructor. So my job was to pretty much walk around Afghanistan looking for bad guys. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was teaching Marines how to fight. So you guys can thank Cal for trusting me to run the middle school ministry. So that'll be... <laughs> it's like, hey, today we're going to learn about apolog apologetics and we're going to counter from the rear uh, headlock. So go ahead, grab your bi battle buddy. I mean, Bible buddy. Um, we're going to be fine. So anxiety and, and stress. You know, when I was in Afghanistan, this is something I did frequently. Um, and I know it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of dark. Far right, that's me. I'm sitting down. I'm talking to village elders. And what I'm talking to them about is I'm like, hey, um, where are the Taliban at here? I think it's weird that there's a building right there and we're sitting in the middle of an open field. It doesn't make sense to me. Where are the Taliban? And like, they just kind of mess with you. They're like, yeah, good. You're like, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't help me. And if you look up, um, you can't really see it, but the corner of that building, there's a guy posted up there, and he's holding security. And there's like eight of those guys around me as I'm meeting with these village elders. Um, something that's, you know, pretty common knowledge about Afghanistan is it's hot. It's really hot there. It's like 120 degrees right there. And I'm, I have two plates here, two plates here, and I'm sitting on the ground with about 120 pounds of gear on, um, thinking about how I'm in the middle of an open field that we've been shot at, where you hear bombs blowing off, you hear all this stuff. And it's, it's pretty stressful doing that for nine months straight. So when we got back, go ahead and throw up the next slide. That's my blood pressure um, just sitting this is why I'm at the best physical shape in my entire life. After coming back from a deployment, just sitting down, relaxing, that's my blood pressure. So with that, stress and anxiety and fear and doubt and depression and all these things just piling up on me and just um, really weighing me down. So my wife and I, we end up in soul care, go through everything, you know, get saved and um, start serving more, get on staff here. And we're like, okay, cool. Um, no more anxiety. We're good. You know, Memorial Day weekend came around and you start seeing all the things on Facebook. You start seeing all the memorial things. I start seeing pictures of my friends that I lost overseas and it comes back. If you're sitting here today and you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with depression, and if you're like, man, I've worked through that. We've handled that. The Lord's freed me of that. Why does it still come back? Hey, I'm, I'm there with you. It's okay. <laughs> We're going to work through it. So I bring this up to my wife, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. You know, I, I don't understand the thoughts are coming in, and it's weighing down on me. And she's like, hey, I thought we worked through this. I, I thought this wasn't a thing anymore. That's on me. <laughs> That's not on her. So what I want to do is I want to look at this passage, look at how Jesus' book ends it with anxiety and give you four keys to battling my anxiety. First thing I see is that we need to celebrate what God has done. Celebrate what God has done. In that moment when those thoughts come in, I need to make a choice. Am I going to let my thoughts take me captive 
Or am I going to take these thoughts captive? Am I going to look back at the man that I was before and everything that he's brought me through, all of his faithfulness, how my marriage has been restored, how I'm raising my kids up knowing Jesus and that they're here worshiping him and I see fruit in my marriage, I see fruit in my small group that I need to remember God's faithfulness, that he was faithful there and he's going to be faithful here right now. We have to take those thoughts captive. Second thing I see is we need to ask for help. Ask for help. This is probably the hardest part for me because I'm prideful. I like to process in isolation. I like to put on this the superhero cape and be like, you know what? I got this. I can handle this on my own. It's foolish. Foolish. James 4 says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 34 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. So I had to remember God's faithfulness. I had to cry out for help. I had to seek him knowing that he is near to the brokenhearted, that he saves the crushed in spirit. And then I had to realize that he intentionally puts people in my lives for a reason. Use your small group. Call out to your small group. I know like 90% of you have the group text thing and you get annoyed so you turn the notifications off. I know you do it. I do it. But use your small group. Ask for help. Third thing we need to do is leave it with God. Leave it with God. Before I got hired here, I was installing carpet. Go ahead and throw that one up. Yep. Don't miss that. (laughs) So that's how I would start my day. Um, Carpet's really heavy. Those pads are really heavy, um, just, just so you know. So starting my day carrying those in and getting the job set up, and here's my favorite part. And i got to be careful because I've installed carpet for a lot of you people here. Um, I would get ready to start. If I was installing the carpet here, uh, the guy would grab a chair or whoever it would be and sit the chair down and be like, okay, um, are you going to do that? You need to do that first. And, hey, there's a piece of dust there. Make sure you get that up. And you know what? I don't really like that piece there. Can you? And I'm like, hey, I, I got it. I'm the professional. I can take care of this. Hey, do you trust me? Isn't this what we do with God? (laughs) That we have our issues, we have our anxieties, we have our stresses, we have our fears, and we can go to the Lord, but as we're waiting, as we're saying, hey, um, here it is, Lord, I I need you to take care of this because I can't handle this. I want you to take it. Um, You know what? You're taking too long, though. You know what? It's not in my timing. You know what? I'm just going to do this on my own because I can do it better. Do you trust me? As Peter's walking on the water, as he's keeping his eyes on Jesus, he's walking. The moment he takes his eyes off and he looks at the storm and he looks at the waves and he looks at the wind, what happens? He immediately sinks. But the moment we call out to the Lord, immediately he's going to grab us and he's going to pull us back up. Oh, you of little faith, trust God. Fourth thing we need to do is dwell on the good. Dwell on the good. Philippians 4 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Look, I I get it. Life is tough. I've experienced tremendous loss, tremendous hurt and pain. Just like this man in this crowd hearing Jesus talk, just like people walking in here today, just as we're walking in here, we have things in our lives that we don't fully understand and we have questions. I get it. 
But guys, as you're leaving here, if you're taking anything away, key in on Philippians 4. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Don't be a fool. Don't mistake yourself for God. Don't mistake the physical for the spiritual. Don't mistake now for eternity. Don't mistake the worldly security for eternal investments. Put all of your hope, all of your trust, all of your peace, all of your security in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word. Just teaching on the topic of anxiety, I know that it's something that we struggle with. Lord, I know it's something that um, everybody in here can point to something in their life and say, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand. I have questions. I have doubts. Lord, I just pray that we leave here dwelling on the good. Lord, that we are confident to approach you. We're confident to give it to you and just have our hands open. Saying, Lord, I, I see this. I feel it. But I'm giving it to you. I'm opening my hands and I'm giving it to you knowing that everything runs through your fingers and that you allow it. And Lord, without going through this trial, there's a fruit that one wouldn't be able to produce without going through it. So Lord, I pray that that's our thoughts as we're leaving here, that we leave here changed, we leave here impacted by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.